Say good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. We had a great first service. Looking forward to this one too. It was a good week for me at our home. Uh, we got to celebrate my 60th birthday. Just another birthday. Yeah. Uh, praise God for that. He gave me, gave me 60 years of life, and I, we got some fun cards, and thanks for all the, those of you who took time to say happy birthday and for your gestures of goodwill. The cards that we received, Ann and I opened them together. It was fun. We laughed our heads off at many of them. Uh, we, uh, were, we wept of some tears at others, but one that really stuck out was really good. In fact, I received it twice, I, I guess for emphasis, from two different people. On the front of it, it said, you're only young once. And you open it up and it says, your turn is over. <laughs> I don't care who you are, that's funny. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, but it was great to celebrate uh, that significant milestone in my life, whatever. 60 years, 60 years, another birthday. I'm excited today as we look back uh, on this past year and we reflect on our theme from this past year. Sometimes we just bust forward to the next uh, theme. By the way, in two weeks, we will introduce our new theme. This coming week, we'll have a time of celebration. But we often reiterate it. We post it on our walls. We were, I still wear an armband that God is the God of the impossible. And we have the impossible God. And so as I reflected back, story after story after story just came forward of all the things that God has done for us and even personally. And one that kind of just surfaced to the top was uh, heartfelt for our home was when my stepfather passed away and went to be with Jesus uh, this past year. And we made the trek home in June and I did his funeral. And as we neared the end of the, the message, I always give an opportunity for people to trust in Christ because people think more about life beyond the grave at death than they do at births. And so I presented the gospel and amongst the group, it was a packed place. Many came to share their, their love and remembrance of Andy, my stepfather. And I asked if anyone would want to trust in Christ. And, and one of the ladies, I noticed as I looked out, had her hand up. She was seated with her husband, and I recognized it was my aunt, my aunt who was 85-plus years old, which would have been my stepfather's brother's wife. And for most of her life, and I would say the majority of her life, she was resistant to the gospel. My mom and my stepfather prayed many years for Betsy, and, uh, and when I say many years, many years, there was even some tension because of my parents' faith uh, with some siblings, but they stood the high ground and continued to pray. And so as I looked out across this breadth of people of showing their love, this hand that stood out amongst them was my aunt who had been prayed for a minimum of 40 years. She trusted in Christ. And then I fast-forwarded afterwards and I was riding in the car with my wife and our children to the gravesite to bury uh, my stepfather and do the gravesite committal. And I said, can you imagine that moment in time for Andy in heaven, what he experienced in that moment? He had been in heaven for about three days. He had passed just three days prior to that. But as best as my mind can put together all the pieces that the scripture reveals to us, it, is that there is a celebration in heaven when someone comes to Christ. 
that the angels rejoice. And so I often say they break out the celestial bubbly. I'm sure it's seven up and they, they, they have a party in heaven. And, and, but there was this ruckus in heaven and I'm not sure, I, I have a picture of what heaven looks like, but I know there's, there's mansions and I know there's streets and I know there's a place that we reside and I know that God is the light, but we're not omniscient and we're not omnipresent, so we can only be in one place at one time in heaven. So I'm sure there's this continual praise, but I wonder what it was like for my stepfather as he heard this praise, and he was curious, maybe. Maybe he, maybe he walked down a street or knocked on a door and, said, and, and, and saw angels rejoicing. And, but can you imagine the question that he might have proposed in that moment? Like, what's going on? Well, there's a sinner repents. Someone got saved. We celebrate in heaven. And maybe he did the first two days, but this was a little different. And then he asked the question, like, well, who are we celebrating? And maybe Jesus himself said, hey, Andy, it's Betsy. It's your sister-in-law. And maybe, just maybe, the line of communication went something like this. Well, where at? She was at your funeral, and she trusted in Christ at your funeral. Can you imagine the joy that my stepfather felt in heaven, knowing that he had spent the majority of his life praying for his sister-in-law, and never in his human form seeing her come to Christ, but longing for her, and now to know, wow, he's in that redeemed place, I'm sure he broke out in his best Andy praise. You see, our God can do the impossible, and he can do immeasurably more than what we are asking or imagining, and, and, and so you have those stories, I have those stories, but imagine the celebration in heaven as he joined in on three days post-human death in heaven because a prayer was answered, God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? Would you agree with that? Today, we find ourselves in an impossible situation. I want you to turn to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 4, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we read it out loud. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Would you stand in our auditoriums and those of you who are tuned in online, I encourage you to stand where you're at unless you're driving. Keep your hands on the wheel. Um, but let's read uh, verses 1 through 4, and let's read it out loud together. Ready, read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. You may have a seat. I imagine as Mary and Martha received this information about their brother that they love, and this was the Mary I love that, that John reminds us. He could have just said Mary, but this is the same Mary that wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, an expensive perfume. In fact, it was very expensive, and she just basically gave her all in worship. This is the same Mary. So, so Jesus did have a connection and a love for her because he remembered, and, he, and, and so he's going to love Lazarus too, and, and we even know from the text that's the one he loved, but the fact of the matter is 
word gets sent to Jesus that the people that he loves, the, the, the woman that he loves, brother, is dead, yet we know this to be true, but sometimes being reminded of it, and we'll get reminded of this, that dead things can live again with Jesus. And even though you get a report, or maybe you receive news even this week, and maybe sickness came upon your house, or maybe death knocked on your doorstep this past year, and you find yourself still rattling from that or even reeling from it, God has a plan that even he can say that even in death, that it's because of the death that greater glory will come from the Son because of this death. So he says this sickness will not end in death. And, and so we want to say, because we can look back and say, Jesus, how can it end in death? He's dead. It ended in death. And we know the full story. But Mary and Martha didn't. But we know in verse 16 that Lazarus is dead. Jesus can insert a comma in the place of a period after death. We don't have to say it's over at death because God is working things out in ways that we can't even fathom or understand. The window of opportunity might have seemed to pass for Mary and Martha and maybe even Lazarus. Maybe you feel that way today. But with Jesus, it's often a yeah, but. Sometimes Jesus inserts a four-day comma instead of a period. And maybe right now you're in the midst of what you think is a period where he's inserting a comma, and maybe your delay is often a setup for God to do the impossible and to receive greater glory. What seems impossible to man is still possible for our God. Faith often looks like it's out of touch when we do that, like we don't, we're not in touch with reality, like how can you believe God can still turn that into good? And sometimes our faith looks like it's not in tune or out of touch, and we might even look weird, and but with Jesus, nothing is out of touch or out of reality because he can do a measuring more than we're asking or imagining. And I would say this, hope doesn't end with an obituary. It just doesn't. And all of us collect them, and maybe you have some that are laminated, and somehow you think it's over, it's, that life is over. And, and, but with Christ, hope isn't dead with the obituary of your loved one. God can do more and give Jesus his son's glory even in death. And in this case, he even removes death itself. When Jesus steps into the picture, it's a game changer. Watch what happens in verse 5. It says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I just want to camp there for a second because sometimes we skip over that and we go into the rest of the details. But the truth is, Jesus loved them. That's a big deal. And for you and me, it's a big deal too because if Jesus loves us and we are his children and we have situations and children that we love, Jesus loves them more than we can love them and he can work it out in ways that we could never do. And if your child and my child is a child of God and your husband and, and your wife is a child of God and Jesus, then he loves them, then it's not over with at the end of what you can do. He can do far more than what you can do. And he's longing to turn their situation into good. Read on with me in John chapter 11. And look what it says 
in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tried, tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Lazarus is dead. Let me just say some things about death that are just true. Death is an inescapable fact of life unless you're raptured. Death is ruthless. It frequently comes without warning and it strikes without mercy. Death is unrelenting. It cannot be cheated. It cannot be bribed. It cannot be outwitted. It cannot be overcome and it will not be eluded. Death is indiscriminate. It takes the young and old. It takes the poor and the rich, the sick and the healthy. It takes the wicked, and I would say even the loved or even the benevolent. Death is universal. All must ultimately succumb to its darkness unless we're raptured out. Death isn't the end is what Jesus is trying to tell Mary and Martha here. Death is a harsh reality of life. But the truth is, it was not always so because at one time, death wasn't a picture until sin entered our world. It's not over when a loved one dies in your life. The enemy wants you to believe that it's over. He longs to keep your mind consumed with the obituary. He wants you to think about death and death and death and death and death and death, when in reality, he can bring great glory from it, and there's so much more beyond this earth for us who know Christ. I've lost some precious friends and family members, and some of them were seated right here in the front of Grace Community Church. We lost another Fight Club man leader in this Christmas season. And while I grieve and weep, and I have, and I miss them, I must believe what Jesus said here. It's for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified. You see, I trust in God's plan for my life and your life. We live in a culture, though, and maybe you're finding yourselves being pulled in that direction that we question what God does and that we, we feel like we have the right to get all the answers to our humanness explained. Let me tell you, God does not need to explain himself to you for the way he acts in this world. Listen to me. God doesn't need to explain himself. What he does is perfect and what he allows is perfect. God is a perfect God and my little human mind can trust him, his will, his way. One of the things I learned early in life, and I'm glad I did, and, and my mom really poured that into us, was that when something went wrong in our lives and something went not the way that we wanted, that we could just articulate this truth that the Lord is good regardless of what I feel right now. Another reality is this. We live in a culture, and maybe you're finding it with your children and their children, that at one time when I grew up, which is a long time ago when I was a kid, that we could say these words, I believe it's true because the Bible says so. And in our world, the majority of people 
wouldn't rebuttal that because they saw this as God's truth. In fact, they swore on God's word when they were in court because principle speaking, it is truth. But we live in a culture that no longer believes this, but can we just go back as believers and say this? If it is written in the 66 books of the Bible, we can trust it and believe in it. And you and I can say, I trust in this, even though my little feeble mind and my emotions are grieving and running in a crazy direction, I can stand here today and say, even though it doesn't feel like it, I can trust in God and he doesn't need to explain himself because he already has. What if we chose to do that? What if we stop asking God the same question over and over and over and over and over? Sure, we can ask God questions, and he wants us to. But at some point, we got to pull away and say this. I trust you, God. So Lazarus is dead, it says in verse 16. But it says this in verse 6. Read on. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. But his disciples didn't want him to go back to Judea because they knew if he would go there, they already tried to stone him once. Let me give you a little understanding of why they're saying this. Sometimes we forget this, but the disciples weren't privy to the information that we're privy to. They hadn't seen Jesus die on the cross. They didn't see him go into the tomb yet. They didn't see him resurrected. They hadn't yet met him on the road for the, when he met people before he ascended to heaven. So all the information they have at this point is pre-cross, pre-resurrection. And during this time, most of the believers of the day thought that when Jesus would come and be Messiah, that he would rule on earth, sit in a physical throne chair, and rule as Messiah. So in their minds, they're asking the question, we can't go back there. we got to protect Jesus from dying. Because if he dies, then he can't sit in a king chair and be the Messiah. So these disciples, with their human minds, are saying, we can't go back to Judea. Don't you know, Jesus, they just tried to stone you there. We can't go back there. But God frequently allows events to unfold in our lives that we do not fully understand. Think about this for a moment. In verse 16, it says this. In verse 16, it says, Then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Can I give you a little background and culture? A Jewish person that lived during this time would often have two names. And the reason they had two names is because one name meant this and another name meant this. Their Hebrew name, in this case, is Thomas. But the text says, also known as Didymus. Not only did they have a Hebrew name, but they had a Greek name. The name Didymus means twin. Have you ever wondered why his was twin and the English word understanding is twin? It's because history will tell you this, and if you study back and read, that Thomas himself had the likeness of Jesus. And often when he went out, history would tell you that he looked so much like Jesus that he often got, people would look at him and, hey, there's Jesus again. 
And so the truth is this, not only was he willing to go back being a follower of Jesus and persecute it, but he was willing to go back and get, get misrepresented as Jesus. So not only does he, who we know often as doubting Thomas because of a time in his life, but we also know that he died a martyr's life with a spear that was jammed through his heart. He is willing to go back even though he knew he might die. There's a lot unpacking here. Faith is flourishing. Lazarus is dead. And yet Mary and Martha are still trying to figure out what's going on. Sometimes our minds aren't capable of fully understanding that God is working it out for his glory. Those of you who've been back to Western Maryland and you've been to the Gateway Plaza in Breezewood, how many guys have, ever, have been there on that trip? Wow, the whole place is filled with that trip. We stop, and as we make our way to the mountain property that my friend Mike owns, and, and, and we go there, we pass a spot along the way. It's an exit called Amherst. And when I'm in the vehicle with guys, I often tell them this. I say, there is a log home that's on this mountain that many years ago, Ann and I were trying to buy. You see, in the first three years of our marriage, we longed to find a place in the mountains, and, and if it could be a log home, all the better. There was this place with six acres with this log home in the mountains. It was beautiful. It had a stream out back. Deer ran everywhere. I just picture shooting them off the front porch by putting my coffee cup down. And we longed for this place to purchase it. And so we made this pursuit to buy this place. And we soon found out that it was owned by a man that my, my stepfather worked with at Mack Trucks in Hagerstown. And we found out that he was willing to sell it. So we made multiple trips to go look at this, this property. And as we went to go see this property, we fell more in love with it. And so we began the process. And we thought, if he's willing to sell it, then we will buy it. And so we got approved in a loan. And so the deal, a handshake was made that Ann and I would purchase this property and we were ecstatic, like this is where we'll spend our lives, this is where we'll raise a family, this is where we'll, we'll, we'll go until God calls us home. It was everything we've ever dreamed about and more. In fact, we would drive her Subaru station wagon up there and my Toyota four-wheel drive truck and we would just sit in the front yard and we would just dream about what could happen on this property. And so we had a handshake that we would buy this. My father-in-law came in to look at it and, and, and my parents had seen it and I was a carpenter. It, it was the home. I knew this is where God wanted us and we were certain and we had a handshake and 11 hours before we were about to buy it. We get a call from this man that says, my wife isn't ready to sell. To say that we were devastated is an understatement. We didn't fully understand what God was doing and wanting to do. In fact, we were destroyed by that because all of our hope was in that place and we could see a future. Yet God had something greater in store for us that we had no inkling of. You see, three months after that, on a cold night in a gym in Hagerstown, Maryland, I rolled my ankle badly and I tried to go to work that following week and found it very difficult to put wood shakes on a 12 by 12 inch house that had, or 12, 12 foot house that had wood shakes on it. 
because my ankle was rolled and we made a decision to go to Grace College and look at further education. And it was on that trip that God gave us the call for ministry. So as we ride by there, we often say, I wonder what it would have been like. You see, if God had not intervened, then the glory that he wanted to reveal later and what he wanted to do with us would have never happened in a city in a place called Goshen, Indiana. That's why when you get a report from your doctor, when the door is shut for you for something that you really dreamt about, when we get a report in a relationship from someone that says, I'm done, it's not over because God is fully in control. Thomas says, let's go. You see, the posture of your life should reflect that the God of the universe lives in you. As I read this, I, I think, boy, I want to be like Thomas. Jesus said, let's go back, and Thomas was willing to go back because he knew that with Christ it was worth even if it meant dying for him. And Jesus promised that he would get greater glory because of Lazarus' death. So maybe you feel like you're in a holding pattern right now. Maybe you don't understand why this situation is taking place. Maybe the court hasn't ruled in your favor. Maybe Omicron has knocked on your door. Maybe you're just disillusioned and given up. Maybe you have this health problem that you weren't expecting and you want to do something. Maybe someone left you and maybe you, you just name it. You just name it. Listen, it's not over. Our God can still do the impossible and get glory through what you're facing. On Wednesday of this week, Pastor Mike and I drove down to Kentucky. It was a great trip. We went down to deliver the check that was given in, uh, through offerings on Christmas Eve, a $46,000 check to a pastor in his church in Kentucky. It was a 14-hour round trip. It was an incredible good time with Mike and I had. But little did we know, we were going there with a $46,000 check, but I honestly believe that the presence of Mike and I to this pastor who was weary was more important than the $46,000 check. And as we stood in his church and he told us the story of he's only been there two years and his daughter is 15 years old, is, is, is missing home, and he came and collected the call three months before COVID, and, and he only has one employee, and she's the 79-year-old secretary, and she lost her house. He has two deacons. One is the husband of the, the secretary, and more than any time in his life he needs help, she's unable because she's overwhelmed, and he has one other deacon who lost his house. And as we stood in his foyer, I said, dude, how are you doing? Life is turned upside down for him, and, but then he began to unpack stories of how God is working things out for good. He told us this story, and we went to the home of the deacon that was there, who was a humble servant of God, lost everything. In fact, he, had a, he was a hunter, and he said, we believe strongly in the Second Amendment. I said, well, I do too. And he said, he, said, he had 47 guns, 40,000 rounds of ammo, gone. Can you imagine standing in the yard and his guns are flying around and landing? He, he, he lost everything, completely everything, 
And as he stood there, he said, Jim, that's just, just, it's just material stuff. I'm just grateful that my family's alive. But then Trent told us this story. He said there was this house that had two children in it, small babies, infants. And he said the, the tornado came, and he said it swept the house away, knocked it down. And he said so when the family came back, the kids were gone. They couldn't find the children, the two children. Can you imagine looking for your children and trying to find your children? He said, so they started scampering around and looking through all the wreckage, and they, they saw this, 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 this tub that was about 600 yards away, and they, they started just moving stuff around, and, and as they were moving trash and pushing debris out of the way, they turned this tub over, and underneath this tub were these two kids. Can you imagine the story they'll tell one day? And Trent said, you see, those are the kind of stories that increased the faith of our people. And he said, even though everything has been totally wiped out, God is working it out for his glory. God doesn't need to explain himself to us. We must speak that the Lord is right in all his ways. We must find peace and rest in his blameless character and goodness. At some point, you must land there and say, even though I feel this, I need to believe this. And at some point, we need to fully trust in the character of God and not be consumed with the thing that has leveled us. New Year's Day, my family, Josh and Jess, and Isaiah and Ann made our way into my mom's home room that she's in. I knew I needed to preach this to myself. So I kept repeating, the Lord is good in all he does. The Lord is right in all his ways. You see, I needed to speak to myself instead of listen to myself. And as we walked into this room to see your mom of 83 years old, who was strong and Vivacious. In fact, they, 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 they actually did her vitals. Her blood pressure is, is, is perfect. Her pulse rate is 70. And, and everything, her oxygen is 98. Her blood pressure is 114 over 74. But we walked into this room. She's in this fetal position. And just uttering and mumbling words. Just, just, it's just horrible to see your mom that way. It's just horrible. And so as we knelt beside her and I grabbed a hold of her hand and she's just mumbling words and Anne is beside me and Isaiah is on his knees and Josh is on the other side holding her hand and Jess is beside Josh. I just looked at my mom and I said, Mom, we love you. God loves you. Mom, it's okay to let go and go home. You don't need to fight anymore. Just go home, Mom. And as we prayed over her, and, and she's trying her best to talk to us, and we opened up my phone, and I said, let's just sing her some hymns, guys, and we pulled out some hymns that she was familiar with, and I pulled out her favorite hymn, which is Until Then, and I sang it at the top of my lungs. And I watched my mom find calmness in the middle of that. 
I reminded myself in that moment that the Lord is good in all he does. The Lord is right, and we can trust in his character. Sometimes we need to tell ourselves that, don't we? Jesus is reminding Martha and Mary that even though physically this is what you see, the Son will, be, will have great glory. You know, they weren't sure he was going to raise him from the dead. Look what happens in verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Let me just say something that's very interesting about Jewish culture, and which makes this very important. Jewish culture believed this. Now listen to it. They believed that if a body was dead for three days, that the spirit and the soul hovered over the body. In other words, they believed that there was a chance that they still could come back in the three days. Now, it's not a good thought or it's not a godly understanding, but that's the culture of the day. And so many would come and the mourners would weep and they would mourn and they would stand and hoping that somehow within those three days that something miraculous would happen. But after the third day, on that fourth day, they, they believed, which isn't the truth, but this is what they, the custom was, that the spirit and the soul finally departed. So Jesus wanted them to know that it's the fourth day. <laughs> and none of this mythology that you have would ever take place. And so it says this, now Bethany in verse 18 was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Not Bethany being either. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine that? Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. And I want you to look at the English here. It says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world. You can't see this in the English, but in the Greek, that word I is an emphatic I. It's the hardest forceful way in Greek to say, I believe. In fact, if we were able to, I'm surprised there's not exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and a whole bunch of an after I believe. She was saying, not only do I trust, but I believe that my brother can be raised from the dead. We live in a world that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus just one weekend a year, Easter. And the rest of the year, way too many Christians live as if Jesus is still nailed to the cross. The same God that will raise Lazarus from the dead, hear me out, lives in those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. 
Jesus is the grave robber. It's never over for you and me when we have Jesus. I'm always reminded of that. I, I, I was reminded again yesterday. I went into Ace Hardware in Syracuse and often go there. And as I went in there to get an, a, a furnace filter for our cottage, I was walking back and there was this clerk for Ace Hardware talking to this man and a woman, most likely who were married. I didn't recognize the three of them. But as I walked by, I heard a conversation saying, yeah, the lodge in Syracuse. Mm, let's turn right back around. <laughs> and you know, you, you pretend that you're looking at something and you're listening. <laughs> I had a fight club jacket on, so I stood there like this. <laughs> But then I heard this clerk say something like this. Yeah, that was the old Smith and Waldron camp. And man, it was a mess. And man, that place was dead and weeds everywhere. And, but there was this church in Goshen. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't forget what he said. They brought that place back from the ashes. See, it took me back to a moment when I won't go into all the details, but I'll say this. There was an agreement in place that we would be the purchasers of that lodge. And that agreement went south. But I believe that God said we should have that property. And I'll never forget the night Isaiah was playing golf at Max Welton. And after his round in high school... Josh and I made our way to the entrance of where Kim and Mitch Moser's house is right now. It used to be a house with about 800 raccoons in it. That one's gone, praise God. And we got down on our hands and knees, and I wrote on the back of the sign, so be it, and put the dado, and we begged God to reverse the call on the field. And you know what? He did. And today... Do you realize all the lives that have been transformed in such a way that a clerk in Syracuse, Indiana would just nonchalantly say, yeah, they brought that place back from the ashes. Praise God. Our God can do the impossible. This is the same God that looked at Martha and Mary and said, you may think he's dead, but I'm not finished yet. God's timing often isn't what we think is best from a God who loves his people. Read on with me. It says in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had Come along with her, also weeping. It says, he was deeply moved in spirit. By the way, that's the Greek word, he was angered. In fact, if we could translate this literally, he snorted with anger. Why? Because Jesus hates death. Yes, he does. He hates it. He hates what sin has done to life. And then it says, come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. I love the humanness of our Savior. He was fully man and full. He wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him? 
But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Like, 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 Jesus, where were you? And it says in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, snorted with anger, came to the tomb. He was a boxer ready to box and bang someone's head. He was ready to, to defeat death. And it says it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, let me give you a little Jewish custom and culture here. If you remove the stone from the cave or the tomb of a person that was dead, you busted all the customs of the day. But we see in this text that they obeyed him and they busted the customs of the day. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There it is, there it is. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And let me just say this. It's a good thing he only said Lazarus, and he put it in front of come out because he would have just said come out. Every dead body would have come out too. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his feet. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's interesting as I think about this, John includes these details about grave clothes. Can I just, this is why I believe it's true. The difference between Lazarus' experience and Jesus' resurrection is huge. Rather than being resurrected, Lazarus was resuscitated. Let me tell you why I use that word. His old body had been reanimated. He still had the old body when he came back. But sometime later, we know that Lazarus died. Maybe he died of a fatal injury. Maybe he died of just illness. And maybe he just, he grew old and with feeble age, he just, of natural causes, died. He was probably buried later and his body decayed and it awaited a resurrection, a bodily, perfect body resurrection. One day in the future, Lazarus, along with every one of us who, who will die, the Bible says is to be absent of the body's present with the Lord, but it says that when the rapture occurs, that the grave will give up its dead. That old body that is being resurrected here came back to live, and our bodies are thrown into the grave. We'll one day have a resurrected body without sin and pain and, and shame. And so, yes... Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was resuscitated and later would be resurrected. Maybe the reason we don't experience more miracles is because we don't put ourselves in situations that necessitate them. 16 years ago, I stood right here on this stage and I said, if you are willing to give and you're willing to make a commitment that to be mothers and fathers to girls and boys in Cambodia and Thailand and to pull them out of human sex slavery, then we as a church will adopt these precious kids that will become our family. And one day they will become Asia's hope, literally the hope of Asia. 
16 years ago, checks were thrown up on this stage. It was something like I've never seen. I thought we were going to just do one home. And yet the truth is so much money was given, so many checks were written, so many promises of commitment that were made that when I left the service that day, not only did we have enough for one home, we needed to call up the the director of Asia's Hope and said, we need another home. And he said, instead of just Cambodia, would you like to go to Thailand? I said, yeah. And because of that, for 16 years, you have given, you have gone, you, you have been the mother and father of children who didn't have a mother and father, and now they're growing up and they're becoming Asia's hope and as they age and get jobs in the community they're taking Christ to this dark place of Southeast Asia and just this week one of our own 23 year old Corvan just recently she has a job with a major news network she is a news anchor she just got married and the man she married loves Jesus she loves Jesus and now she's on the front line of Cambodian news as a believer in Christ because you believed and gave praise God for that Jesus said maybe this is happening so I can receive greater greater glory The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to our faith. One little yes from Jesus can change your life. One little yes can change someone's eternity. I'm perplexed when I read this account, when I read verses 45 and 46. My hope is that you don't fall into the one category. Verse 45 says, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, what does the next three words, what's it say? Believed in who? Him. Look, 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 look at your Bible, it's 45, come on, you got to read this out loud. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, did what? Believed in what? Him. Look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some didn't believe. In fact, they wanted to take Jesus' life. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan smiled, but the grave robber got the last laugh, didn't he? See, because he lives, Lazarus lives. And because Jesus lives, we can live. And because he lives, he can turn every situation into his good. And because he lives and we live in him, Jesus doesn't need to explain himself for us. Because what is written is good enough for us to believe. You see, we need to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. That even when it doesn't make sense, we can trust in the character of our God. Over this last year, we saw God do some amazing things and sometimes we forget. Sometimes it's easy to move forward and we're gonna celebrate some next week, but sometimes it's easy to go to the next request, next ask, and we forget what he has done for us. Sometimes we need reminded. 